The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything that you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. I've been so pumped to take a couple of friends with our road bikes to some of the trails nearby, and now I can bring the entire crew, my dog, and all of our gear with that third row. Learn more about the new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're tuned in to Heat Check with Trista Crick. On this episode of the Heat Check, we've got an interview with Yahoo senior NBA reporter and friend of show, Jake Fisher. He gives us some really good info on how the trade deadline went down, how the Nets KD Kyrie Harden era will be looked at over time, why the Toronto Raptors were never going to make a move at the deadline except for to be a buyer, who is going to tank moving forward this NBA season, and much, much more. Lots to get into, Nick, so do me a favor and drop that generic-ass beat. Let's just talk about, like, the trade deadline as a whole, because I felt like, to a degree, it was, like, one of the more dramatic trade deadlines, and then outside of the two real pieces of shock and awe there wasn't really anything of note yeah i mean that's kind of what we with inside information were kind of saying for a while right that like there wasn't a lot of like starting level players that were actually going to move teams um and then the Kyrie Irving thing obviously threw a giant monkey wrench in the entire trade landscape, but just like with Kevin Durant requesting a trade like an hour before free agency started, like those two situations kind of happened in a vacuum outside of everything else. Like free agency started at six o'clock on June 30th, even though KD, you know, asked out and, you know, the, the wheel still spun, the, the world still moved on. And like, the fact that Kyrie's trade happened to Dallas, like he requested them on Friday. So it was six days before the deadline. And then he was already dealt by Sunday. I mean, the reporting has been pretty clear since that KD requested his deal out of Brooklyn on Monday, but, but the nets, they weren't willing to discuss it with anybody. He wanted to go to Phoenix. He's wanted to go to Phoenix all along. So the other 28 teams kind of operated as we were expecting, which was pretty much Toronto dangling players and having a lot of, calls around the league, but they didn't make any selling type moves. They were interested in Yaka Pirtle, like we had known about since, you know, last trade deadline when they were registering interest there. 
And there were, there was a lot of activity. I mean, I wrote today at Yahoo, 71 second round picks got traded between January 1st and the deadline. The other past four years, the most was 32 second round picks traded because there just weren't a lot of players out there that were actually worthy of first round picks. And I think that's uh, illustrative of the level of talent that was actually on the market too. When did it become clear to everybody who was in the know that Phoenix was like the only place? I mean, I didn't know for certain until the deal happened. But when Kyrie's stuff dropped on Friday, everyone around the league said, well, just, just, like, just like my Twitter feed, just like yours, the timeline was going off. What does this mean for KD? Is KD next? And the impression that everyone got, and especially by everyone, I mean like rival teams inquiring, um, and especially after Brooklyn's return for Kyrie with Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, a first and a couple seconds, I believe. Yeah. Um, that was a win-now move, right? Like that was a move just like they did throughout the summer with going and get Royce O'Neal um, and re-signing Claxton, TJ Warren, and other things to try to build a contender around KD. So, I mean, the thought was still prevalent of, well, if he does, if, I mean, he's, he's changed his mind left and right. That's, that's kind of been his MO. So the thought kind of prevailed. Well, he could still do that before Thursday. He could decide. turns out he did it on Monday. Right. Um, And at that point in time, it was a holdover thing that everyone around the situation believed that if he was leaving Brooklyn and even why he requested a trade originally from Brooklyn was the thought that, that Phoenix could happen, that Phoenix was there. He could play with Devin Booker and Chris Paul. So it, it just kind of felt like an inevitability. If this came around, I mean, Memphis definitely uh, lobbed an offer. Let's say, I don't know the specifics, but I know it was definitely all their picks and they're willing to trade anybody not named Ja, Dylan Brooks and uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., but he wanted to go to Phoenix and that was the only thing that was going to happen. So I didn't know, like I said, until, you know, Wednesday when the, when the trade went down, it was like, just, I mean, I remember saying on the radio on Tuesday night in Philly um, at WIP and my family, cause I'm from the area was like listening to my brother. So like, Oh, like you called KD to Phoenix on Tuesday night. I didn't, I just like, had an understanding if he was going to get moved, the overwhelming likelihood was to the sun. So that's where he wanted to go. And then the second thing that you mentioned earlier too, was like that Toronto was just going to dangle everyone. How close do you think they actually were to ever selling the parts that they were dangling? So I don't have that definitive answer, but what I can say is that they were telling rival teams um, and the reason I don't have that definitive answer is I'm not on the phone, right? And like yeah. you're hearing stuff at the end of the day, the job is to tell the public what you believe to be true based off of the information that you hear. A lot of times you're hearing, you know, falsehoods or things that are a little bit misleading to try to paint a certain picture, right? And it's your job to, or it's my job to try to sift through all that and come and bring like the clearest picture I can, right? So with that, like, Toronto was telling other teams starting at the showcase, like, we don't know what we're going to do. We're going to take uh, until the final minutes of the deadline. We're going to have this long, like eight game road trip or whatever it was, six games, something like that. Um, all throughout the West coast before they came back that Sunday night before the deadline, they were going to regroup on Monday and figure out what the direction they wanted to go. And sure. Fred Van Vliet's contract 
He could be a free agent this summer if he opts out. Gary Trent can opt out. OG Ananobi is guaranteed to be an unrestricted free agent in 24 um, because he can't, by CBA limitations, uh, get more than 120% salary increase, which is well below his market value, being that he's $18, $19 million player right now. But they were telling teams, like, we don't know what we're going to do. And they were telling teams we might be buyers. So to me, like, I'm looking at, reading all these tea leaves and operating like the 31st front office and trying to figure out what these teams are going to do because they don't know what they're going to do. All that stuff I just said to you never signaled a team that was really going to sell. And it signaled a team just, just like they did with Kyle Larry in 2021, they were going to talk and talk and see what the market was looking like. And then probably the result would really come in the summer. So that at a certain point was really what I expected to to be the case. I didn't I didn't know I didn't like I didn't wake up on Thursday confident, but I fully believed that they were going to go after Jakob Pertl, and the rest was kind of undetermined. And it seems like even though there's a finality to it right now, I mean it's it's late February already. Like June's pretty close, yeah. so we'll see what happens come this off season, especially if they don't continue to rise up the East. They're still. I mean, they're a ways away from getting out of the playing tournament, which is, you know, obviously not where they want to be when they've got all these guys who are up for $30 million paydays coming up. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Yeah, you know, I thought that to myself. I was sitting in the lawn in Arizona and right before this, you know, on Super Bowl week. And I was like, do we really actually believe these guys are going to do anything? Like, are they really going to move OG Ananobi when he's under team control for another year and change? Like, it just doesn't, it never felt like a Maasai move, like a full fire sale. You know what I mean? So I think you're, I think you're right. It is interesting that they didn't do anything really at all, except for, you know, purchase uh, Yaga Pertle, former player. In in fairness, like they can say, no one met our asking price. Like the Pacers offered three first, right? The Pacers picks, I believe, one's one was Cleveland, one's Milwaukee. Like those aren't those aren't great first round picks. That they're they're late twenties. The Grizzlies offering a bunch of picks. The Grizzlies are gonna they're projecting to be you know a top five record team in the league like they have been for the next half decade. Like how valuable <laughs> are those picks gonna be? So I can understand, you know, the the Raptors thinking well, we did a good job of drawing up this interest to get the quantity of first rounders, but the quality isn't what we're looking for. Like that could be a fair counter argument, but um, I don't know. Three first round picks, no matter where they land, for a player that I don't know. I don't know if OG was ever going to be more than what he is in Toronto. That's also, you know, why would a team give up so 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 much more than what we just stated because they wanted to pick. From everything I've heard, the Raptors wanted picks and players, or and the player. When that, that that's let's say it's Memphis or, in, or Indiana, but Memphis probably it's greater stakes for them, being that they're they're at the top of this, uh, you know, echelon here. 
are they going to just willingly mortgage all that stuff to be right in the situation Toronto is where he could be an unrestricted free agent with no guarantees to resign in 24. That's a lot. That's a big price to pay. Yeah. And it's not that much cheaper than say like a Donovan Mitchell or, a, you know, it's, it's more than a Kyrie Irving at this stage. It's yeah. just slightly cheaper than Kevin Durant it just feels like the drop off from like a, a list player to let's be honest, like probably a B minus player, but a really good wing defender. It's like, Toronto's very uh, Danny Ainge-ish when it comes to getting what they want. Um, so I guess, how do you think the trades actually fit into the rest of the season? Like, do you think anything really makes an impact outside of KD and Kyrie to their respective destinations? I do. I mean, I think the Clippers got better and they're going to end up being just uh, a talkable team until their season ends because Kawhi and Paul George are so good when healthy and active and that has not been the case consistently. Right. And people love to talk about they're the big poster argument against, you know, load management and whatnot. Um, but, and, and this is also like the fourth year of this expensive iteration. And they, they, you know, they were across the aisle of the KD Kyrie uh, experiment in Brooklyn. Like those, those tandems came together the exact same off season um, in July, 2019. So like one potential super team dynasty already crumbled like is the time running out on this iteration in LA where there was already talk around the league back when they made that Western Conference finals run against the Suns in 2021 of like if they didn't make it that far what was going to happen up top like there's I'm not I'm not here to say that like I know definitively that there's hot seats in in LA but like this conventional wisdom would suggest he paid all this money to put together this you know contender that maybe they don't make it to the Western conference finals more than once in a four year window. Like that would be below expectations. Right. So they got better with Eric Gordon and Mason Plumley, And I, I really do like bones Highland. I know there's been some, um, you know, personality stuff that's come up in Denver, but I mean, he's a damn good player. He's on the second year of his rookie deal. That's a pretty good, you know, gamble. I think from LA, the nuggets got better with Thomas Bryant, um, and Reggie Jackson's a nice buyout signing. Golden State getting Gary Payton the second back. Like, I don't think he's a world changer, but you at least turn James Wiseman, who was not going to play for them this year, into someone who was a really valuable rotation piece for them. I mean, the Lakers got a lot better. Obviously, they're starting yeah. five to pull the doors off the Pelicans without Zion, but uh, the other night. So, I mean, the whole conference, I think, outside of Portland really got better. Your Blazers, like, they didn't exactly buy to move this thing forward here, Trista. What What's going on? It doesn't feel like it, no. Uh, they got a first-round pick uh, that is only lottery protected, so that will convey, I think, this year. They're going to need to figure something out, right? Like Jeremy Grant, whether he ends up getting a deal done this summer, I don't know. I saw something earlier today that – I forget who it was writing it – that in order to keep Dame – really supported that most likely they would have to sign or they would most likely have to trade Anthony Simons and Shaden Sharp, which I'm, I very much disagree about trading Shaden Sharp, but it just doesn't feel like their philosophy is much different than Neil Olshay's was outside of just finding more athletic dudes. I think Neil Olshay would have been fine with Cam Reddish. Like I think Neil Olshay would have been fine with Jeremy Grant. Like maybe he doesn't, maybe he doesn't draft shade and sharp. Maybe he ends up with like, I don't know, some white guy from Gonzaga. That's not Chet Holmgren, but like, 
I don't know that this is a defensive first team, really. And to me, it doesn't feel like they're doing Dame any favors.